Welcome to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, founder of Startup Creative, your go-to source for straight-up business advice. Hi, guys, and welcome back to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, founder of Startup Creative and author of How to Start a Side Hustle. Um, today's episode, I have a very special guest who was actually the designer of How to Start a Side Hustle, and her name is Nayo. She's an artist, author, creative who has worked with huge clients like the New York Times, Disney, Figma, Frankie Magazine, Adobe. The impressive list goes on and on. Uh, but more recently, she has launched her grief companion uh guide pack of amazing cards uh, that is based on her experience of experiencing grief and offering support in a creative alternative way that wasn't a I guess a self-help book uh, something that she wanted and needed and so we chat into coming up with that idea and how do you back yourself as someone who's like I've had this experience I couldn't get the support that I needed I'm going to create it, which so many of us have that experience. And I think sometimes we go, yeah, but like, would anyone else want it? Or, you know, is it going to be good? Or am I the right person to do it? So we talk about that process and overcoming the imposter syndrome of it, as well as diving into, yeah, creating for yourself and creating something on the side. The cards are beautiful and you can check out our Instagram and her Instagram to see some of her design work uh, going into it to make it beautiful. Um, But also as a creative who does have clients, how do you carve out time to work on a project that is creatively yours and the importance of that as well. So it's a beautiful episode full of vulnerability and personal stories, as well as some really great advice for our designers and our creatives out there. And also those anyone who's obviously got an idea and wants to make it a reality. Uh, she also gives some really good tips into pitching um, ideas to publishers and some of the advice that she got around that and how she went about it. Uh, really informative. Loved the conversation. It was an honor to have her on the show after we connected through her being my designer of the book, which so many people love. Um, so yeah, enjoy the episode. Let us know what you think and be sure to check out the Grief Companion, which is in stores now. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. It's great to have you here. Uh, we've been connecting on Instagram. I think after was it we figured out that you had designed how to start a side hustle and did the beautiful color combos and the shapes and the pages, which gets lots of compliments, by the way. So congratulations oh, and thank you. Thank you for trusting me with it. I love those books so much and I love your color combination um, the most. Don't tell anyone else. <laughs> I actually said that the other day because I've got, I think I've got all but one of them and I did order it and um, I was like, mine's my favourite. <laughs> Biased. Um, but thank you for being on that journey with me um, from afar. Such a joy. So good. Hey, but let's let's start maybe by introducing yourself and what you do and we're going to jump into your publishing journey and, yeah, share a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so I am a uh, independent 
designer, artist, now author, um, curator. I've run my own design and art studio since about 2014. Um, And until recently, that's mostly just been collaborating with clients to create uh, books like publication design, branding and identity uh, museum and gallery projects and and space space design interior design um i've through that i've worked with people like the new york times disney figma frankie magazine uh, hp hachette all of the all of the goodies um and uh over the last couple of years i've done a couple of personal projects um one was a festival called make nice which was a conference for creative women and the most recent one which i think we'll dive into is the grief companion uh which is a publication that is hopefully a supportive guide for navigating grief uh so that was a personal project that has now become a publication amazing congratulations by the way thank you thanks for resume (laughs) <laughs> it sounds strange that. just like rolling all that <laughs> I mean it's awesome right it's but I think that's I've had moments like that where you kind of go oh yeah these are the things I've done or you end up just saying some of it and then people are like wow and when you're in the moment you're just doing it and you're just like oh yeah cool this is the next step and this yeah. happened and you know how things come about don't always you know aren't as predicted and you're like, wow, how did I get here? <laughs> but I think that's the beauty of, you know, getting in and doing what you love and finding your niche and your passion and doing good work, which attracts more good work. Absolutely. And, you know, as while you're in it, it's not like you have the time to sit back and be like, good on me for getting that thing. <laughs> you, know, mm. you, don't, you don't have that time. Well, I'm, I'm starting to get better at, you know, at the end of projects, trying to give myself a little bit of time to, you know, before I downward spiral into, into whatever the next job is to kind of sit back and go, oh, yeah, good. I did that thing. Good job, me, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. It's important. But tell me, like, let's maybe we'll touch on that quickly because I think that's also interesting and I'm definitely getting into the grief companion because, yeah, it's a beautiful resource and very necessary and I'm keen to hear about your publishing process and how you went with the writing and everything. But um so with your design space um it, it, is it your own company or you have you freelanced or you know where, where's your kind of success come from in that space uh so I run my own studio so probably 80 percent of the work that I do is is clients coming directly to me um for you know to work specifically with me um but sometimes I do freelance with uh other studios you know to to if they need something that I kind of specialise in or, or I might have a certain style or something like that, then they might pull me in to help on a particular um, project. So a little bit of freelance, but mostly it's, um, you know, clients coming directly to me. Mm. Which is interesting because I think that, you know, especially creatives, right, and I've worked with a lot of graphic designers over the years <laughs> where, you know, they can really get caught up in, clients coming in and client briefs and doing you know following someone else's lead and then you know obviously creatives who especially I find in that space particularly will always have their own creative mind ticking and you know things that maybe don't sit inside of a creative brief from a client how did you go about carving out the time to 
but will I also want to produce my own creative briefs or, or projects? Uh, great question. And sometimes it's uh, a little bit easier because I kind of let it, it almost like sits in a bit of a pressure cooker in my brain for a while. Um, so I'll be thinking about how it could work or um, why I think this thing should exist. Um, that was the case for the Grief Companion and also the conference that I that I used to run. Um, it got to the point where I was like, well, if no one else is going to make this, then I have to make it um, because I, I want this to exist in the world. So for those things, it gets to the point where I it kind of goes off in my brain and I can't, you know, I can't stop myself. I have to get started on it. And for other things like, um, you know, I, I do, I, I paint and, and have exhibitions. So things like that, it's a bit more, uh, a little bit of discipline try, trying to like carve out particular like chunks of the day or the week or the month that I can focus on that. Because if I don't schedule it uh, in the way that I schedule my work, it, it won't get done. Same same with my newsletter that I that I send fortnightly. If I don't uh, you know, carve out space, then then it probably will never end up getting sent. No, that's good. I, it's so important, hey, because it's like when those things are brewing and you don't, if they brew for too long, like you can, you, it can explode or just like it almost causes, <laughs> you know, like hesitation or frustration or, you know, kind of like a, a build up, right? Because I think especially a Absolutely. lot of creatives that I encounter, it's like, if you're not doing this like creative feels on the side, then like it's you're gonna burn out because you need your like untapped creative freelance like you know without a deadline or a, a client brief in order to feed the rest of your paid work. A hundred percent, and I think um, I, I don't I don't know that it's particularly <laughs> healthy, but maybe because I'm used to that client. Um, you know, client studio relationship. I also find that looking back, most of the things that I have like really gone, <clears throat> you know, gung ho for at one stage, it's because I've talked to another creative person about it or someone that I trust, and they have uh, almost given me the permission. Or you, you need someone else to be like, no, no, you're not crazy. That's a good idea. Mm. Um, and they may or may not be right, but I kind of, I think because I'm used to needing feedback from other people and I, and I work alone a lot of the time with these other projects, um, like the Grief Companion, for example, I was talking to a friend about it and she uh, got to the point where she was like, send me the pitch tomorrow. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I want to read it. <laughs> I, I was unsure because I maybe had over you know, over-processed it. And she was like, come on, stop thinking about it. It's time to do it now. I, I want to read the thing. So um, that's that. often really helpful too. Yeah. Mm. No, it's so vital. Like you really do need, because otherwise ideas can just spin and spin and spin. And I, one of my favorite quotes is like, if you launch with a perfect product or or whatever, you wait for the perfect time to start, then you've started too late. And I think that's it. It's like yes. actually the ideas get better once they're out of your head and they're on paper. And like you, even exactly. with my yeah. editing process with my book, you know, the 45,000 words or whatever I kind of remember now that I submitted got back, cut back to about 28,000. And I remember getting mm-hmm. that first edit that was A, like just why do we have to use red 
and lines. Like, <laughs> it's just like brings back all your high school triggers, like probably primary totally. school. But, so I was just like, I see this document that I'm like, wow, I wrote a book. And then you get this document back and the red's everywhere. And at first it was That's like. cliche visual. Oh, it was just like, I wanted to cry. And then I think I avoided <laughs> it for about a week. And then I was like, hey, where's your edits? And then I, but then reading the final copy was like, oh my God, this is so, I see, I, I learned through, so much through writing. I became a better writer from that outside perspective, giving that feedback. And it's like, get your idea out. And then it will actually refine through, yeah, people's opinions or the process of starting. Absolutely, absolutely. No one has, like, yeah, I don't think anyone has the best idea on their own. They need kind of outside um, input or, you know, validation even if you're unsure about it or, um, yeah, it, it can sometimes be harsh with lots of red red marks yeah. and Google Docs. But, uh, <laughs> and I think it's good too because... Yeah, people to go um, that, yeah, I think often, I don't know if you've come across this, of you know, like with sometimes people have their ideas and like, oh, you know, I don't want to tell anyone, someone's going to steal it. And my advice around that is always like most people won't steal it because not many people have what it takes to actually make it a reality and stick it out. Absolutely. And like, do you know the, how hard it is to do the yeah. thing that you're saying? Like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I feel like it, it was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's actually the everyone's got great ideas. It's the people who action them. But um, yeah, but then surrounding yourself with people who are like, "Cool, we're actually going to contribute to making this better," you know, and and refining it, and bringing it out it's into the world. Special. Yeah. Um, and nice. a massive side topic. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I would love to hear about that brewing process of the idea, and obviously a little bit more about your story and the grief companion and where that came from and how it came to be? Of course, yeah. Um, so the grief companion kind of percolated for about three years in the back of my head, um, the reason being that I had gone through um, the loss of four family members in four years and one of them was my dad who was like, my soulmate we were basically the same person mm. um and that was really really hard as you can imagine mm. um and as I was because I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I'm a big researcher my way of <laughs> it's funny to think back on now but I wanted to grieve correctly or like the right way <laughs> or well so um the way I knew how to do that was to read every book I could find, listen to every podcast, you know, talk to whoever I could talk to. And that's actually really difficult when you're grieving because um, as people might be able to relate now after having, you know, COVID brain, you have no attention span. There's just no, you can't keep any information in. It's kind of like a state of shock for a really long time. So I would read all of this stuff and, and maybe in a whole book I would get two paragraphs of, of information that, that helped me or supported me. Um, so I started thinking about how silly it was that there wasn't some kind of format that suited the attention span and the way that grief works, which um, if, 
if someone listening hasn't been through grieving, it's really non-linear. It's, you know, that those stages of grieving aren't really a thing. Uh, they've been debunked a little bit. And, you know, it might be, uh, you know, the first week after my dad died, I was just in in the kind of autopilot, whereas most people, if they haven't gone through grief, probably think that that's the worst part. And then, you know, you'll feel better, you'll feel worse, and still years later, you know, I can be at a grocery store and a song will come on over the, you know, <laughs> loudspeaker mm-hmm. and I'll have some kind of reaction that I just don't see coming. So it's really, mm-hmm. you know, up and down always. There's no, like, slowly getting better situation. So trying to think of something that I could um, make that would help people but wasn't going to require a lot of attention span and also was um, beautiful because (laughs) most grief books and grief content is very like um, cat hanging on a clothesline aesthetic, you know, (laughs) really self-carey. Uh, from the 80s, you know, strange word art. Um, And so so I wanted something to be the right format. I wanted something to be beautiful that people could, you know, have out and not be embarrassed by. And I also wanted something that was really easy and affordable to gift to people who are grieving because um, I just just remembered when, when my dad died, I, you know, one day I came home and I had like, 40 bunches of flowers in my house, which is beautiful. But then three days later, they were all dead. And I was like, oh, cool. Uh, There's death again. Death. Great. Um, so this is a nice, hopefully a, a nice uh, alternative or companion to go with something like that that, that might provide a bit more long-term um, no, I like. I- Hopefully. I love that thought to it as well. Thank you for sharing and sorry um, to hear, but it, how beautiful to have something come out of it. And I think that, yeah. that that idea of having, yeah, a gift that they're beautifully designed and, yeah, they're, you know, they're like a, a tarot deck or not a tarot deck, but, you know, it's like a, mm. we've yeah. become accustomed to having that, you know, like decks of cards that help us to navigate life. Um, and, I really like it. So there's just for those at home who haven't seen them in real life, there's three sections, which I thought was really great because it's the insight, the prompts and the actions. And um, it's nice because I think that's the journey, right? Is like you and my, I've I've actually, my my brother-in-law lost both of his parents in the last couple of years, but particularly his dad, again, similar Mm -hmm. Um, very close and you know I was probably more of a secondary support to my sister who's obviously his wife and helping her to navigate being in relationship with someone who's grieving and um, you know it was so we've been going through that this last year around the ups and downs of it all Mm -hmm. and um, you know figuring it out you know and I think there's some beautiful prompts in there that are like, you know, how to handle an anniversary or, you know, um, how to talk about the person as well. or You know, not even how to, it's tips and advice and suggestions, which I think is nice because I think, yeah, the the thing, the the sentiment that I love about it is also um, that it's, 
everyone does this differently and there is no formula. So here's some suggestions and take what you need. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's exactly it. Cause yeah, as you say, no one does it the same way. And I was really, um, I, I thought about that a lot when I was writing um, the, all of the different cards and I, I kind of think of it almost like a, <laughs> I don't remember who, but someone told me once I love to buy cookbooks and um, my way of making myself feel better about that is that if you get a cookbook and there is only one recipe in there that you use for the rest of your life and becomes like a staple recipe in your life, absolutely worth the purchase. You know, you're never you never expect to use every recipe in a cookbook Mm. um and it's kind of the same way here I think like with something that's so um difficult and and emotional um I like to think that a lot of the cards will be useful uh to everyone but even if there's you know two or three that you pull out that really affect you and really help you through a tough day or, or help you support someone else through a really tough time then that's um I feel like it's it's done its job and that's uh, powerful enough, yeah. Yeah, and I, I love that. And it's the, um, I guess, like, for me, look, at in, I'm actually, as I'm sitting here, I'm, like, in my head, I'm like, oh, these are all my, my younger sister has also heard um, husband has lost his dad and then a friend of mine has lost a mum. And I think there's also the beauty of this is, every, you know, all of these people are in our 30s, if not younger. And I think that um, it's it's almost like we weren't ready for this. It, we're, we're too young to have to, you know, it's like I think for mm. me growing up or like, you know, encountering death was, you know, my my pop dying, you know, but my dad was, you know, in his 50s. And so it's kind of like a thing that happens to old people that's far yeah. off and I'll deal with that when I'm old enough and and wise enough to know how to deal with it. And when you start encountering it as a younger age, it's almost like, yeah, like the little things are like, you know, do you say their name or, you know, how do you, yeah. you know, all of those little things. That I mean, the beauty of the pack too is that it's supporting people. Um, but I think it's, yeah, that really relatable, uh, accessible way to get support around, you know, something that is happening at all ages of life. Yeah, I think that was something that I found difficult about, like, what was out about grief as well, is that that was the assumption, like, oh, you're a, you know, you've lost your life partner and you're in your 60s or 70s, you know, like, or, you know, you've had this traumatic thing of, a, you know, a child dying or something like that, but you yourself are older, whereas, you know, so many young people are going to go through really traumatic grief um, and, and there's just not that much written in a way that is like a- approachable to someone that is my age. Like I was 30 when my dad died. Um, and uh, I'm sure your um, brother and I will, will also notice like all of these people just came out, you know, all of these friends that I knew that it, it hadn't clocked it before, but they had also gone through grief at a much younger age than we're told is like, normal um so it's not it's just this like narrative that we maybe tell ourselves to feel a bit better about it or to kind of push it down the street for something to do later on in life um but then also when you get to that age if you're not thinking about these things it's not like you're going to be any more prepared because Mm. the culture doesn't really set you up for it (laughs) 
Yeah, especially, you know, this is very my opinion, but, you know, Australian culture, you know, it's like, come on, you'll be right, you know, or maybe that's my experience. Yeah. You know, and oh, no, definitely. a lot of beautiful traditions that, you know, do face death head on and have rituals and, and rites of passage oh, and ways that help us to process it. So I think it's beautiful to bring it to the forefront and, you know, make it a normal topic. And I, how was the process for you writing? Obviously, yeah, I mean, I think from a creative's perspective and um, I know for me during COVID lockdown, especially, you know, the beginning of what, what year are we in? And 2021, it was like the four-month lockdown in Melbourne, winter, living by myself. And for the first time, and I haven't actually shared anything publicly, but maybe one day, um, I started writing from a dark place. Like I've always been like startup creative, inspire, you know, mm. and quite optimistic. And I was writing from a, a really dark place and it felt so raw and like I would wake up and have these dreams or thoughts and meditations and it would just come out like a stream of consciousness in ways that I'd like look back and be like, did I write that? But the mm. process of writing, yeah, how was that for you in that, um, you know, obviously reliving your grief or whatever and, I mean, moral yeah. of that story is like <laughs> I think there's something really beautiful in writing from, you know, or creating from a place of like a need for somebody else because you felt it so truly and so many people doubt, which I think we'll get to, what they're creating. But if you've mm. needed something like this and you can tap into your deep personal experience, then it resonates with people. Absolutely. Well, I, I have found that definitely. Um, I, I I also wrote uh, a lot of the group companion uh, during lockdown in Sydney, um, and uh, I really naively thought that it would be totally fine, <laughs> that I wouldn't find it really difficult <laughs> to to kind of dredge up these um, emotions. I it, like honestly did not occur to me. Uh, and and later on, <laughs> talking to my therapist, she was like, "What? Um, do you really not <laughs> consider that this is like going to be hard?" Um, so that it, it was difficult, but it was again what you're saying is correct. Like I felt uh, almost a little bit. Rem- I could remove myself from it personally a little bit because I was writing it to help um, you know whoever ends up using this uh, companion so it was more I I tried to look at it more as like making sure that there was a different variety like more of a research base than a um than a and that's the other thing that is quite uh strange about the group companion is that it's not about my loss which a lot of um a lot of grief writing is is memoir and um that's also excellent but I, I kind of at times wanted to read about grief without it having to be associated with a specific person's pain. Mm. And I think mm. that that um, maybe made it also slightly easier to write about because I could kind of step back a little bit. Um, mm. But the, the actual painting and illustrating was quite difficult, uh, which I also hadn't <laughs> thought would be difficult because uh, painting something that is 
grief, you know, it's, it's about grief. It's, it's not a fun topic. It can't be bright and, and cheery, but you also don't want it to be depressing. You don't want it to be, you know, uh, like realistic paintings of, you know, flowers or people because then it's putting an idea of grief onto the reader instead of it being, I think it needed to be abstract, but like figuring out how to illustrate these cards was also quite hard to kind of strike a balance between not being too cheery and not being prescriptive. And um, that was actually really uh, the most time-consuming part of it as well. Yeah, and it's interesting, Mia, because I mean, I feel like this is such a beautiful topic that I don't want to relate it to business advice, and I'm sure people are pulling their own tips out. But I, I, what intrigues me is things that do well or that, you know, a publishing house picks up and, and, you know, travels around the world, it really does, the more and more, especially in the creative space, it's the person who's so deeply connected to what they're sharing and, like, in imprints mm. what they're creating with that, you know, the heart and soul and their experience. And, and it's, you know, for me when I was writing How to Start a Side Hustle, I was there was so many mornings, like, literally sitting in the dark writing you know, and like sometimes walking away from the, the screen in tears. <laughs> I was like, I can't do this. Um, yeah. But knowing that I was like, I am so deeply focused and embedded and like I want this to be so helpful and how else can I get more advice in there? And I, I there was a sense of peace when I submitted it that I was like, you know, this literally has my blood, sweat and tears. <laughs> yeah, um, I put everything into it mm. and, and for the purpose, for the like genuine purpose of helping others, which I think also um, maybe comes down to, you know, at the start we were talking about, you know, pressure cooker ideas, the ones that I eventually have to do that I don't need to schedule in because I feel the need to do them are the ones that are to help other people, mm. you know, um, so I think that is part of it as well. You, you, yeah. you know, it's it's so much easier to work on something, not easier, but, you know, you're more driven to work on something when there's the potential to, you know, help other people through something that's difficult. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think that's a beautiful take home for people of like, yeah, if you've got an idea from an experience or, you know, an idea in general, it's like, and and so man, many of the decisions that you're talking about with the colors and the paintings and the thinking around it, you know, it's like when you when you create something that is a need that you wanted or that you know that other people need, you've got all the answers. You know, like you can really deeply, you know, make decisions Absolutely. that are from from that place rather than needing to, you know, watch YouTube videos or you know <laughs> give it to somebody else. It's like totally. so much of what yeah. you need what how you experience it or what you, why you're creating this solution for people is inside that's of right. you and taking the time to let it pressure cook because that's when it finally is ready to be birthed it'll come out with that clarity absolutely and it also means that then when you are getting to the stage where you're kind of pitching it to people that aren't you know quote unquote on your side you know that you need to convince of this idea um you have the kind of knowledge to mm. to argue for how, how you need it like I know mm. I know that the first couple of publishers that we, or agents I was speaking to they all told me to turn it into a book 
it would sell more as a book, it would be easier to pitch as a book, you know, mm. it, it would have been a lot easier to, to have it as a book. But the whole point for me, pressure cookering it for so long, the cards were integral to the design and I didn't want it to be a bound book. So um, if, I, if I had gone in without thinking through it enough, and they'd, they'd said, oh, make it a book, I would have been like, oh, okay, you know, not having had the time to, like, think through why I was was doing everything. Yeah. Um, so that that, that is, yeah, part of it yeah. as well. And that create that integrity of, like, this is, you know, this is a real-life experience that I had, so therefore this is, you know, I am, you know, credible to have this conversation, you know, to do it this way or to, or to create the niche. And I love that because when you spend enough time on an idea and you deeply connect to it you do have a sense of integrity that you can take a no or you can if people aren't yeah. you know seeing the the same vision it, you are you're less swayed because you're like no I know in my heart what this needs to be yeah absolutely and that's it's pretty nice when that happens yeah hey I want to ask you a couple more questions if that's okay mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll keep going yes um, I love this, but I was going to ask, I'm trying to think of which one comes first. What was the writing? I mean, the, and it may come before or after. So my first question is the writing process. And I know that we touched on this briefly before we went on the, the recording, but as a self-help or advice giver or being a stepping into the space of like, hey, I'm going to give, you know, I'm going to say that I can have an opinion on this. I know for me, huge imposter syndrome came up and did that happen for you? But then I also want to hear about your publishing process and that, you know, your editing styles and and maybe that the imposter syndrome came before or after or didn't or both or... (laughs) Just like a, it's just an all the time state, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Imposter syndrome. Um, Yes. Uh, Process. Sorry, just let me. What was the first part of that question? So, yeah, I guess like, did you feel, um, did you have moments throughout the writing process of being like oh because of know, the advice and the self-help yeah, yeah. The advice, like for me just my experience was like there was times where I'm like this is going to print around the world who am I to be giving this <laughs> advice what if I give the wrong advice and it stuffs up somebody's life or you know what if people tell me that yes. my advice is basic and shit which I have read a review online but like whatever um <laughs> it wasn't shit it was just like oh yeah this uh, is business advice I'm like yeah duh. anyway um <laughs> clearly I'm not yes, I definitely I'm was <laughs> um I was very worried about that and at the same basically almost at the same time I started um kind of seriously working on the grief companion I also started a news a fortnightly newsletter um, which uh, is also just a recommendations newsletter, basically. So it's I I love curating things and collecting random bits of information and recommendations for you know food or music or books or what have you. So I in an attempt to stop driving my friends insane, I kind of thought, oh, I'll, I'll put this into a newsletter, um, which is the same thing. It's like advice and self help, basically. So started working on these two things, which is kind of under that banner. And I think what helped me a little bit was in, in writing the Grief Companion in particular, I 
a lot of it is like this might help Mm. it could help you know which is important for this particularly because everyone grieves in a different way and I'm sure everyone runs their business a different way you know so a lot of the content it's you have to take it you know you have to assume an intelligent person is reading it because they are because they've chosen your book and um they can they can pick through the information like you or I do when we we read a book and take what works for them so I think I, I the first thing is I made sure that my my writing style wasn't black and white you know like you will find this helpful because it will do this you know because that's not going to help anyone um and then also just like trusting the fact that the reader is uh you know a clever (laughs) intelligent person who is reading the book for the reasons that I'd written it for um and and if they wanted something that was scientific uh you know or, or from a grief expert they can find that somewhere else um and all I can do is give them what I have <laughs> um, yeah so hopefully that that's what they were looking for if that's if they've chosen my things yeah that's that's a really nice way to look at it and I think it's the you know letting go of needing to be everything to everyone and going where do I want to sit here and who do I want to speak to and knowing yeah that there's enough of those similarities you know in values and and styles of advice that people would be like yeah cool this is my expert you know yeah as much as I would love for it to appeal to everyone and help everyone that's never going to happen for mm. you know like pe- people hate <laughs> people yeah. hate Beyonce or you know Joan Didion <laughs> they you know, do not. If, if, they're, if they're gonna hate if there's gonna be haters for like the best then there's definitely going to be on my thing. So just uh, trying to, I don't know, shrug it off a bit too. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even think it, it's, yeah, it's it maybe not haters, but the styles of learning no. or, or receiving yes, information yeah. and, you know, yeah, it, and what works for them. Um, but, no, I think that was really good advice. And I'm keen to hear because I, I didn't know that you, well, you spoke to a few different publishing houses and, and that process. What was it like to take something so personal and then go on that journey of, you know, bringing it to life with a publishing house? Um, how long did it take? And, yeah, was it you know, vulnerable for you to pitch um, something? It was vulnerable. Again, I had two really great friends behind me that were almost like semi-bullying me about it like that's how much they were helping me with it just like every time I felt nervous about it they were there in my corner which was really so helpful I don't know that I would it would exist now if it Mm. it wasn't for them um I I simultaneously pitched to two different publishers Mm. um and my uh friend one of the friends who has been helping me is a you know renowned writer and she told me to uh pitch for your top choice first which at first I was like of course and she's like no 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 (laughs) women don't do this they pitch to the publisher that they think will accept them or they pitch to like one that they think will be more likely to agree instead of pitching to their top choice first because I don't know it's the way that we are somehow built so, and I would have done that. I probably wouldn't have gone to my top two publishers. I don't know why. I just, it, it, I needed someone to say that to me. And that was very helpful. 
she said, you know, for freelance writing, when she used to do a lot of freelance writing, the men would pitch straight to the New Yorker. She would be pitching to like a side blog of something <laughs> and, and her writing was more, you know, the same, you know, same value as, as this, you know, the guy. So that, that was a great piece of advice um, as I was starting. And then it was remarkably smooth sailing and um, remarkably quick. Uh, from first pitch, partially because my pitch deck was extreme. It had everything you could possibly need in a pitch and it was all very well organised and and structured. Um, I kind of figured may as well really go over the top with the the pitch deck and then uh, I know that I've put it all in and, and if it gets rejected, it gets rejected. Um, and from then it was very, very fast. So it was, it was also very fast writing, um, designing and illustrating period as well. (laughs) So that was, uh, it was like a four, three or four months to write, paint and, and design, um, the the deck. Yeah. I love it. Which is quite fast. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that I love that, that advice you give around the deck too, because you want to give them, um, you know, I think when people pitch, it's like, hey, I've got this idea. And it's like, well, what if you if you just come in with this is the idea and this is everything you need to know about it and it makes it really easy for them to be like, yes, let's do it. Rather than, well, what about this? Like the more questions they have to ask, the more likely you're to get lost in an inbox or the email chain drops off or, you know, they Absolutely. kind of lose enthusiasm. And, so. and I am like I'm generally very bad at that like if, if you if you if you ask me what I do for my job I will mumble into the corner that I'm like okay at some things <laughs> you know I'm, I'm very bad at that generally but I think because I was really keen on this idea and it was removed enough from me that I didn't have to talk about myself too much it was um you know, like often I wouldn't, I don't often put like marketing uh, angles or, or things like that into pitch decks, but this time I really put put all of that stuff in there. Amazing. No, I love it. Thank you for sharing that because I think that's really helpful for people mm-hmm. to, you know, that idea and letting it brew and then having the people around you who are just like, yep, no, we think we've got something here and then, yeah, going after it with everything that you've got. So Amazing. I'm so glad that you did because I'm really looking forward to seeing it travel the world. And, you know, I think you'll no doubt, I'm sure I've already seen that you are, but the feedback that starts to come in and I know for me, it blows my mind every time somebody goes, oh, I read your book, especially lately. I feel like someone, something's going on in Europe where there's a lot of people over there seem to be buying it and, and sharing it. And I'm like, what do you mean you're in the UK and you read my book? Like, <laughs> I feel like I this little old it's country like, girl that's just like, what? How do you know my name? I know. Well, it was very strange because it was released in Australia, uh, you know, four or five months before it was released in America and I live in LA now. Um, so it felt really um, removed from me. You know, I couldn't go into a bookstore to, to look for it or anything like that, as you would have experienced, you know, mm-hmm. releasing during lockdown. Um, but yeah, I am starting to get, uh, like my friends sending photos of it in bookstores in America, which is really exciting. And I got an email 
yesterday from the lady in Ireland that had one and Mexico. Wow. It's like so exciting when um when you see that it like it, it's such a bizarre experience because you can't you can't know yeah. that anyone is even know it knows it exists. And then you see mm. people that um you know are on the other side of the planet reading it. And it's yeah very exciting. And I love when people make the effort to reach out and say thank you because it means so much to me and like I you know I'm all for people you know it's, I'm a real person and I for me like books have changed my life like I've I obsess over books oh, for so on. long and like and authors and um yeah so it's weird to think that I would somehow be maybe sitting on somebody's bookshelf that their kid will pick it up one day or something and be like, what was Instagram, Mum? It's so strange. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It was I uh I design a lot of books and I one time that I was really excited, I saw like you can you can see them in some the author sent me it in the background of um uh oh, what's his name? He's like a famous he produces like Lana Del Rey and um Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. this famous music producer yeah. um, had one, two of the books that I designed for her in the background in his wow. studio, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's so weird Wild. that like Miley Cyrus has looked at my books." <laughs> like, it was weird. I love you know, that. It's such, so strange to think about. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's also reminds me that I should, you know, books are so important to me, mm-hmm. and I should be reaching out to artists and authors when they have really changed my life with their writing as well it's you know it's never not welcome is it (laughs) yeah no not at all and I think the beautiful (laughs) thing and we touched on this when we were chatting before recording is like this is circling back of like yeah putting yourself out there whether it's you know making you know a, a resource or a book or whatever that is it's not really for the money. <laughs> Let's no, just bust that no. down. You don't get rich making books. No. no we don't anyway. No. Someone probably is. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure um, uh, I'm sure the Obamas did pretty well with their deal. But, uh, yeah, um, definitely. Not, not a, yeah. Um, it's, but uh, it's, it's, it really it's is a lot of it, the, definitely. The, the craft and, yeah, all of those things. And I think, yeah, these conversations and other creators and seeing – how, but when I first started, I had a similar mentality of how you said if one card helps somebody out of the deck. I remember putting on events or posting on Instagram or giving, you know, advice and stuff. And I used to be like, if one person turns up or reads this and it helps them, then it was worth it. And oh, you know, totally. And I think that's yeah, coming back to, you know, building businesses that are heart-centered and and are out to serve and to care and and are human connected, you know, connected to the human behind them and the people who are going to engage with the business. I think that would be the dream for the world moving forward and the business Absolutely. world. Absolutely. And I think in my uh, you know, stu- you know, life, which is like, you know, running a studio and, and doing these kind of not on the side, but you know, like they're part of it, but it, it's, it's totally different. It's really nice to have the balance of, you know, working for, um, you know, brands that, you know, people are excited about the brand or whatever, New York Times, Disney, or, you know, whatever. But I'm like one little tiny cog, you know, in, in the, in those projects, you know, um, and it's really fun to contribute to that, but it's, it, and I, I really enjoy that. 
but having the balance of having something that is really um, caring for people and, you know, nurturing my creative side as well. Um, the two of them together uh, work really nicely and um, it, it means that you're not, you know, you can do the, the, the commercial branding studio work uh, and not be stressing out. If, if you were if you were only doing the personal stuff, I'd be stressed out if I didn't have an idea every second of the day to be working on the next new thing um, and vice versa. You're like, if I was just doing the commercial work, I, I would be stressed out about having no creative outlets, but having the two of them means that they kind of work in, in tandem with each other, which is really nice. I love that. And I think that's the, a really beautiful tip to finish on because I think for our creatives out there, yeah, keeping that balance to keep your passion alive of why you started in the first place. Um, but, yeah, also sometimes outsourcing ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your story and so much great advice and congratulations on the launch of The Grief Companion. Thank you so much. Um, Love it. So good to have you. Enjoy LA. Hope it's not too cold. Thank you so much for tuning into the Startup Creative Podcast. If you get a chance, head to iTunes and leave a rating and review. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you get notified every time there's a new podcast up. See you next week.